0: What I really love about our conversation today was we're both in a place where we could speak openly about our own vulnerabilities, about our struggles, about facing fear. Like your story is so inspiring. I think that's something I definitely want to take away from this meeting and encourage other people to be more vulnerable with their partners, friends, and team. I think that's a big message I want to get out. Now is the time. You're
1: invited to join us, a movement of leaders, we are willing to step into a new approach to leadership across the global landscape. This is as simple as humanity being just you and I, and stakeholders being the value you place on each decision to add or take away from humanity going forward. Hold a minute. Stay with us. We know people like you want to play at a different scale, and these conversations help create the opportunity for you to take this up a notch, or two, or a whole lot more. With a curiosity, let's dig deeper, behind the scenes to see the why, the what, the where, the who, and the when. From other smart humans who make smart decisions and innovate smart, sustainable solutions to narrow the gap from problem to solution. Learn in today's conversation how you can begin to do this. Come, join us.
2: Hey, this is such a privilege, Greg, to have you on the Global Human Intelligence Podcast. We are just going to have a conversation because that's how I roll. And I think you're a bit of a legend. So I reckon we're in for a good conversation. Are you out for it?
0: Looking forward to it. Yeah, thanks for having me on.
2: All right. So here's the thing. You love experience. You love a life in doing things. So why, why is this so important to you? How does this help with where you're going moving forward? Would Mm. love to know more about that.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, for me, experience, and I think it stems back to me doing a lot of reflection. You know, I do a lot of, lot of journaling. It's something I've been able to, after breaking in business a couple of times, Mm. I got into journaling and actually reflecting and looking at myself and how to improve myself and looking back on, you know, who I was as a kid and growing up and memories and things that I remember. I actually don't, I didn't remember a lot about growing up. Like I had wow. actually moved on and deleted old. I always think of the mind as like a, a hard drive on a computer. And I was the sort yeah. of person who'd be like, yeah, I need to free up the disk space. So I'll just delete that. And something that reminded like made me think about this was, all of the the memories that had disappeared were like the everyday memories at home. It's almost like I, I went through mm. and said, what is the big files in here that I can, which are pretty much the same. It's all of the, I woke up, I had breakfast, I went to school, I came home, watched TV, went to bed. They were just old memories. I said, like, yeah, I'll just delete all of those. There's like 12 years of them, delete. And all of those memories are gone. But what stuck around were the trips with mum and dad, where we went camping or when we went away or when we did something different and exciting when i got you know chased by an animal in the bush or all those things were out of the ordinary you know they're the ones that stuck around and now having kids you know my kids now are 7 and nearly 8 uh, sorry 5 and nearly 8 i'm just dedicated to creating memories with them um, so that when they grow up it's not when they do potentially delete the everyday stuff which i think a lot of people do and people listening might be reflecting on that going, oh, yeah, I've sort of deleted all the everyday moments as well. So uh, I want to make sure we've done a lot of great things. And I don't know why, but from an early age, I, about 17, I started getting into investing because I didn't want to fall into the trap of having to work you know, a 9 5 job or go and work on the mines, which was when I was living in Perth, which is the thing to do. Yeah. And my, my dad did that. So he was away for six weeks stints and he would come home for two weeks and away for six weeks. And it felt like for me that he was not really there much of the time. And even though he was and he was working really hard for the family, for me, it felt like that he wasn't there. So that's why I think i got a lot of passion to grow a successful business, teach trades now how to start scale and automate their businesses to create have the space and that time to create those memories with people.
2: And that's so powerful. Tell me, when you were a young kid, the reason you didn't have those memories or didn't keep those memories, were they because you didn't want to feel that? You didn't want to know what they were? Or like, have you gone back and tried to work out some of those things? Because the reason I ask that is there is so much that I have learned. And I think that when you're an entrepreneur, one of the really powerful things that is actually works for you is being able to compartmentalize. There is just so many different things. We've got so many moving pieces. There's lots of people trying to ask things. And I think the ones that are the smart ones actually know how to compartmentalize. Now, I think there's a negative side to this. So sometimes we compartmentalize because we don't want to go there. We don't want to have to return to those thoughts. Was that the case when you were a young boy or was it just the others was so much more fun and you held on to those?
0: Yeah, I actually had a pretty privileged upbringing, to be honest. Mm. Um, So I I was born 10 years after my youngest sister. So then I was 11, 15 and 18 years older as my siblings.
2: So she Um, was kind of like the guinea pig, right?
0: Yeah, so the other family <laughs> members were the guinea pigs, and yep. by the time I came along, you know, they were like, "Oh, another baby." All right, well, just do what you want. So I was out, you know, with my friends, like from a young age, and we will go wow. through. The, we lived in the bush, and we'd go and do adventures all the time. You know, I remember Mum would be like, "Greg, come home!" Like five o'clock in the afternoon. Like she would shout over the fence to my neighbour's house. One of my best friends was right next door, which was handy. Yeah, you know, I I grew up in the bush, which was really you know, great. I had a lovely mother that told me how good I was all the time, which actually became a bit, a, a bit of a problem for me. I'll tell you about that in a little while. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and then I went to an all-boys school, private school when all my other siblings went to a public school hmm. because mum used my, my family to say, look, we could, you could do this. Dad went to university as a chemist. You can have whatever job you want and you know mum was very supportive and you know when i look back on one of my biggest problems which became my problem in business that i did have to break down was i mum would always say to friends and and other people he was born for a reason you know he was born for a reason Mm. he's not you know he didn't come 10 years after katrina because you know for no reason he's here for a reason and so even though she didn't say that to me directly, I would always hear her telling other people that I was born for a reason. And therefore, wow. that became my script that I had to be the best at everything that I could do. Mm. And so I put everything into everything I did to prove myself to my mum that I was worthy effectively. Yeah. And so, you know, I trained, you know, I got to a elite level swimming, got an all-time Australian record in a relay. You know, I used to train four hours a day, three to four hours a day every day in swimming and, you know, doing weights. And, you know, I, at that point, I learned how to do, you know, stare at a line for four hours a day and just train towards a goal. Um, And to be able to just, just continue to go, 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 go on something that's so boring, I think is in essence, you know, if we look at books like Tiny Habits, um, like Atomic Habits, that all of these books just talk around, is the ability to stick to something that can become boring. Everyone's chasing this exciting yeah, thing. Yeah,
2: because not many people will do that. It's that consistency, the discipline around it.
0: Mm, yeah. And so, what was very interesting was this. Mm. So, I kept doing, I converted, firstly, I converted my swimming and my athleticism into partying for a f- couple of years. Of course. <laughs> so, yep. I became a world champion <laughs> party animal. And then and after, I
2: bet you did that. Wow. Well.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then, after that, I put my head into business and, you know, thanks to my wife that I met, like she, mm. we met at a club and she, luckily she was there. She was like my savior, you know, she yeah. pulled me out of that culture and she goes, well, don't you want to do something with your life? I was like, hold on, wait, I'm investing. Like I started investing <laughs> when I was 19. Yeah. Um, I'm committed. I was a swimmer. Like this is what I, like this is my personality. Um, and so I was like, all right, well, I'm going to start, start a business and jump straight into an electrical contracting business and just head down like crazy growth is from the start trying to automate this business so that by the time I had kids at 27 I would Mm. I would be available to to spend time with them and what was really interesting was when we had kids my wife became my mum in my mind yeah so my wife became I can't let my wife down and so I put Mm. she became the mum like figure in my life yes um and then all of a sudden I would work like I went from like we were independent and we we're cruising and yeah. everything was sweet to like I had to like work and prove myself to my wife and it sort of snowballed over the first couple of years of having kids where it became problematic and that's where I had to work through that. And So tell more.
2: me how you've worked through that. Like that's a, that's a huge pattern. Like it's a pattern you've repeated from the past mm-hmm. and then taken on into your relationship, your marriage, to disrupt that pattern, you'd have to rewire to something totally different. What was the difference, and what was the motivation for you to not keep defaulting back to? Uh,
0: the motivation was the toxic problems yeah. it was causing. So it was the problems were things like I'll give you an example. My wife would say, you know, new mum yeah. uh, having to having to try and be, go from a very independent woman. To learning how to become a mum, in the yeah. and we we're both very independent people, and we work so well because she's like like into philanthropy. Yeah, she gives. She's got a lot of empathy naturally. Um, she's sort of. I feel like we are yin and yang. So yeah, we're together we're better together. But yet,
2: very strong figures, very, right? Yeah, yeah,
0: and and very strong personalities, both mm. of us, and we we complement each other in what we're weak in. Mm-hmm. But when we had Grace, you know that she had to find her new identity there and she, and she saw me continuing to do what I did best, which was growing business and yeah. she couldn't do it anymore with her charity. So mm. all of a sudden there was a bit of a chasm um, and so she would say things like, I want you home at four because then like we've got, A routine we've got to stick to and I'll Mm. like free-spirited like I'll just come home like I'll get my (laughs) job oh my goodness (laughs)
2: you know why I'm laughing (laughs) even though it's so deep and so real and so raw is you know my other half and this is so like our relationship (laughs) so like our relationship in so many ways yeah right? Yeah. Free spirited. Hey, like the world loves me. I'll just do this. I'll get onto this. I'll get to you. But Hey, at the moment I'm busy doing this. Yeah. Oh, you need me home at four. And what time is it now?
0: Mm. Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, the four thing became a real problem for me because
2: I bet you it did.
0: The four, She goes, <laughs> I want you home at four on the dot. Mm. And then there was one time where I was like five past four and it was like, oh, it, was it was on like this. Was, she had a really hard day. And totally understand. Now I've reflected, I understand like becoming a parent and dealing with the stress. I think of, I
2: need to take lessons from her. She's strong. That's she is good.
0: Strong. She's pretty, yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. so it was, and when I, when I felt that, I was like, oh, I've let her down. Yeah. I'm going to be home on four every single time. So from that day on, wow. four was like my deadline and I would never be past four. And so I'd literally be, <laughs> Kirk Kirk used to laugh about it, who's who was my ops manager at Response. And now he's one of our head coaches at the academy. But he used to joke about it where I'd be like, um, I'd be talking to him mid-sentence. So like, the phone would go, oh man, I've got to go, I'll call you back. And I'd like literally run out, jump in the car and <laughs> like fly off and I'll call him in the car on the way home because I, I wasn't going to be late. So, so good. Yeah. And then, and then, so I set these like, like, all right, fine. Yeah, I'll do that. And I had this yes attitude. Yeah, no, yeah fine. No problem. No problem. I'll do it. So mm. hey, for, home at four, I'll do it. Everything else can wait. And I'll just push all this stuff away. Meanwhile, I couldn't really... I couldn't come home at four a lot of the time and I needed yeah. to, I was causing problems in other places, but I didn't want to let my my wife down or my mother figure, yeah. which had been conditioned into me. And then that's when I had to start unpacking it and being like, "What? what is happening here? Mm-hmm. How can I better understand myself so that I don't react in the way that I do? And how can I have honest conversations with my wife rather than being yes, ma'am, yeah. you know, rather than saying, Hey, this is, this is what I need. And I think this is why I'm so passionate about talking to men about being vulnerable and actually saying what you're feeling. Because if you don't say what you feel and you just say, yeah, I'll get, I'll make that happen. And you walk off and Mm -hmm. then you try and make it work in other places is putting all of the pressure and strain on you. And that's what caused me to break and have to look inside and try and figure out how to have those vulnerable conversations.
2: Oh, so much to pull apart seriously in this conversation. Look, one of the interesting things and the thing that I'm so fascinated with in my work is like I've got this thing that I believe that we need a new approach to how we're doing things. Like the decisions being made right now, you know, and particularly for me in leadership, the decisions that are being made in leadership, we are seeing what those patterns are bringing in the world, the systems that people are using, the processes, the Mm structures that and we find ourselves in. And I, and I think even just what you're saying there, you know, it was hard for you and continues to be a journey for you to be vulnerable and to learn what that looks like. And now you are really focused in on helping other men do the same thing. We have a society that has not necessarily been built around it being a cool thing to be vulnerable as a man. What, what are your thoughts, insights around that piece?
0: Yeah, I think about this a lot, actually, um, mm. because I was always the the other thing I learned during this pro process was yeah. I actually saw a, an amazing woman, uh, Tabitha. She worked with elite athletes, football players, people like uh, criminals and just high profile people who had to deal with a lot of life stresses, yeah. um, celebrities and other people. But I worked with her on understanding my personality. She, the four agreements and a couple of other books, and you know, the anagram and just a couple of other things. And I learned that I was a high performer, that the the personality hmm. type three.
2: I don't even think you need to do a personality type thing <laughs> to find that out. But yep, there you but, go.
0: <laughs> but what was interesting though is the high performer personality type yeah. is that I am a performer. So yeah. I perform. Um, so even if I'm hurting like anything else, I'll show the rest of the world that everything's sweet. Mm-hmm. So everyone will look at me and say, oh, yeah, he's killing it. Like, this yeah.
2: is great. Greg's this is great. got it all sorted.
0: Yeah, and mm-hmm. many times I didn't and and often still I don't, but what mm-hmm. I've learned to be able to do now is actually be honest about it. And a lot, it actually makes a lot of men that I speak to uncomfortable when yeah. I become vulnerable. So, you know, moving to Byron Bay was a great step for me to, Be surrounded around a lot more people who are willing to have those conversations straight off the bat. And I also found, you know, because I've always been like that, it's hard for me to naturally be vulnerable. And I usually find the times when I'm not vulnerable is when I'm struggling mm. the most at the moment. Oh,
2: that's that's truthful, yeah. yeah. Here's yeah. the thing though, like, you know, and, and I love the fact you're just so real and raw right now, but you you say, I find it hard to be vulnerable. But is that because this is just not the normal? Is it because we don't know how to navigate the uncomfortable? I always talk about being comfortable with the uncomfortable. I think that is part of the new approach that we need to learn how to navigate that and learn how to have conversations, not know where you're going with those conversations because that means you're not coming with your conditioning, all your biases. It's coming and I'm just coming because it's a clean slate and we're about to have a conversation and I'm going to learn something from you just as you'll probably learn something from me. And Mm. I think that's part of the new approach is the fact that we have to learn how to navigate these uncomfortable. And that might mean that we have to have these conversations that aren't the normal and aren't the ones that we're normally having. And I wonder, even in your own world, like, is that uncomfortableness, is that coming from the fact you don't like confrontation, you don't like talking about things that maybe you, you're you not sure what the heck we're talking about, where we're going with this, or is it other things that makes it uncomfortable and then it's, it's tricky?
0: Mm, great question. I think right now I'm probably in a place where I'm quite comfortable talking about what I'm struggling with to mm. anyone, like even a, a perfect stranger. Yeah. But probably that is easy. And there is me. a but
2: there, right?
0: Yeah, but <laughs> that perfect stranger is easier than me talking to my wife about mm. what I'm struggling with. Mm. I really still find it hard. That is
2: actually see. a really good point, by the way.
0: Mm. I find mm. that's the hardest. That's something I'm still working on. And, you know, if there's any time now, which there still are, and I think it's just natural for everyone to have conflict and disagreements and stuff. But if there's, I know that something's wrong in myself, if it's mm. not logical, I'm like, what? Yeah. Like I'm just spitting out, oh, yeah. this and that, oh, oh. I'm just saying random stuff. And then, and I'll just be like, what am I saying? I walk away and I'm like, oh, I can't stop, my, I can't stop my mouth from going. Yep. And then I, and what's really great is having learnt the practice of like, do you know what? I just need to go journal. I can literally go away for twenty minutes. I can write and just be like, "Okay, I feel better." Like I can go back and I apologize, and I'll go, "I'm stressing, or I'm unsure about, or I'm this, or I'm that about these things," and that's why I've reacted the way I have.
2: Um, Yeah, I think, and and I think that that's part of the key to this is that we don't always know what to say in that moment. And it's okay to disagree. I always say, uh, you know, when you're working with teams, when you're working with organizations, when you're working in different situations, that we have to actually learn to be uncomfortable, to listen and not always agree. And how we deal with that is going to be different in different cases. So in your case, Going away, journaling, gives you that space to be able to go, hey, where is my head at? What am I thinking? And then hopefully you come back into that conversation, but with maybe a clearer space, maybe a willingness to listen, maybe a moment to pause, to listen to the other side. And then I think we need to somehow come to a point where it's okay if we literally disagree with maybe 99%. And there's just a 1% that we decide to agree on. Yeah. And because otherwise we're never, ever going to shift that dial forward. There's always going to be that tension. And reality is, and you know this in experiences, right? Tension is part of that adrenaline, part of the thing that you learn from, part of the thing that pulls you and pushes you into a place that's uncomfortable, but then you get amazing results from it. Mm. So why do we push back in conversations when there is maybe disagreements or it is uncomfortable? I wonder about that a little bit, right? And I wonder if we learn to go, actually, it's okay, even in relationships, those that are loved ones. And I think that this is an interesting conversation because, you know, Taki and I are exactly the same. We really are. You know, we are very strong, independent people. And both of us are right in our, own, in our own heads, right? And so we can crash against. But what we've got to learn is if we truly are a team, if we truly want the vision of the bigger vision, which is for us, our home, our children, our companies, if we really are aligned to the bigger vision, that little stuff that, you know, is uncomfortable has to be talked about at the table so we can make decisions and move forward. And mm-hmm. I don't think that it just is relatable to our relationship. I think it's relatable to teams. I think it's relatable to building out the culture and the bigger vision that you want in your ecosystem.
0: Yeah, I love that so much. Like while you we were talking, I was thinking around the different way I approach like family, like family. Mm. Uh, teams and my clients, you know, in the academy um, and how, you know, leading with vulnerability yeah. actually invites the other people to open up, you know, uh, talking around a personal story that you struggled with, you know, yeah. or how you are, you've you struggled in something the same way, then they feel okay to open up versus coming in and asking a question. What do you think about this? And they're like, yeah, hey, yeah, it's all good. So, is it really
2: though? so here's the thing I think it does is it creates a safe space right mm. so how do you do that in a better way that creates a safe space and I'm asking not just for you I'm like just asking right mm. and maybe our listeners have better ways of doing this than we do but how do we create safe spaces in our relationships the one that we love and adore that we want to do life with and go, hey, this is a safe place for each of us to come with our vulnerabilities. I mm. wonder how we can do that different mm. and better.
0: A strategy that we uh, live by now, which mm. same same lady helped me understand, is it's not me, it's not mm. you, it's the situation. Yeah. So, what is the situation? And the situation in that period in time was we had two young kids, we had a yep. new baby, we had a, a young little girl life business was busy i was starting a new business like the situation yeah was causing the conflict between her and i and so when we started looking at the situation it's like well how can we if that's the situation how can we work together to fix the situation because like what it got to the point where it's like it's you it's this you do this you do that Mm -hmm. and then they're coming back you do this you do that and then i see the same thing in my teams like when the team yeah. start having conflict you start to they start to blame they'll start to blame the manager the manager's blaming the team um and there's a conflict I like, all right so that's happening but what's the situation causing that and they're like oh, what's well, this i was like well how can you two work together to figure yeah. out a solution so we can create a system that will continue to make sure that doesn't happen again yeah and and when it comes to clients, that's the same thing. It's like listening first and it's trying to figure out exactly what the situation is. Um and it's usually that phrase alone, you know, it's not me, it's not you, it's the situation, yeah. is enough to, you know, break the fear of and the anger that's putting you can get angry at the situation and yeah. then you're no longer anger Just angry. Just
2: don't get angry at them. Yeah. I I think that's such a good point. And it reminds me of when I talk about the new approach, I talk about things like we shouldn't be building out a business. We should build out a, well, for me, it's a smart, sustainable growth ecosystem, right? In other words, we don't define it by your personal, your professional, your business, your whatever, like it's part of your ecosystem. Mm. And I think that this is a great example of, the way that you're doing it in your relationship, you're saying, hey, this is how it works out in your team as well. So it's something that you've figured out for yourself and gone, hey, I'm a way better person when I put this in place. What if you could do that as a team member, and see what you can come up with. It's the same way, like we're building out an ecosystem in everything that we're building. And the other piece of that, that I think is interesting, and I think is something that is, you know, very strong in in my work of of the new approach, and that is around where if we are to do it differently, then we have to be willing to do that as an individual ourselves because it only starts with us, then it goes with the collective and then yeah. for me it goes right up to then that's how we get changes across the global space. Yeah. And and I wonder if we did that better of being able to be smarter in ourselves. And that's part of these conversations on this podcast, right? Is talking about mastering what I believe the secret advantage is, which is the the muscle of human intelligence. What I love is you've identified some areas in which you've had to work on that now help you to be more effective in what you're doing in your own personal, but also in your professional as well. And because of that, now you're helping others to maybe think for themselves. Mm. And I think what if we could, as humans, uh, realize that we have the secret advantage within us and it's the muscle of human intelligence? How would we make different decisions? How would we be more effective? And what would that look like if we did that more and more? Any thoughts?
0: Mm. Interesting interesting things mm-hmm. um, to ponder on. Is, I think if we essentially continue to be honest, you know, honesty has to be it. And and the big thing I've realized is people need to start being honest with themselves first yeah,
1: rather
0: so than true. just being, you know, like, because a lot of people tell themselves and me included, like, especially, you know, pre having to work through all of this, i would yeah. be the sort of person be like, nah, I'm all good. But I wasn't all good. The truth yeah. was I was not good, but I kept telling myself I was therefore no change happened. And mm. I wasn't a good leader at that time either because no one was involved in the journey as well. So I think like what you're saying, more people need to continue to be honest with themselves first and yeah. through a practice of meditation or journaling. That's a private space where you can just say just say how it is and be honest with yourself. Mm. As soon as you start doing that, you can un you can then go and talk to people about what needs to change yeah. and that change can happen, but it also inspires that person to go and do the same, you Mm -hmm. know, and especially if you're a leader and you're a leader of a team or you're you're a coach or an influencer, any of those things, you have a great platform where you can actually be vulnerable and encourage others to be vulnerable, and I think that's how we get global change is by more people telling the truth and less people doing the whole Facebook imagery thing Mm. where it's just like, look how good my life is because I really feel like yeah. people have lost sensitivity to all of that, you know? And I think why we do so well at the Academy is that I am honest. I yeah. am like, it is not hard. This is my personal journey. This is where I struggled. You know, I abused alcohol because I couldn't handle fucking yeah. life for a while, you yeah. know? So so I, I couldn't physically be in my life. So I'll, I'll drink until I couldn't think like, yeah. That's sort of my, that was the way I was escaping the pain I was in because no one knew I was hurting. Yeah. I just kept telling myself I'm sweet. And
2: other people oh, okay. by the way other people have other ways of doing that whether it's through food whether it's through multiple relationships non-stop looking for or even those that are looking for happiness in all the wrong places like mm. there's just so many different ways so many. in which people go into escapism right mm. Yeah. But I think the bigger piece of that is and I'm so grateful that you you found that moment to go and created the space for yourself to go, hey, this is, this is not the answer to where I want to go, what I want to be and what I want to do. And I don't know that everyone gets to that point or that it gets to a point in their lives where this is just not acceptable or this is just not good enough. And I wonder if there were times in which you could have, you know, if you got to rewind, where you would have made different decisions if you saw different opportunity, or you used different lenses in which you made decisions. Or maybe you didn't see, I, I think the world in in how it is showing up, you've talked about social media, you know, like there are certain ways people are presenting that, you know, it, we just take an example of the entrepreneur world. You know, if you've got all the followers, if you are doing all the social media all the time, you must be amazing. You're getting into Forbes. You're getting into all these. Not that these are bad things, but I think that in a lot of ways, our measurement of what success, of being happy, of what life needs to look like has been defined by things that maybe aren't true to who we are and what we're meant to be doing in our journey. And I wonder I really do wonder if we were to take a moment, would we design out our businesses the same way we would? Would we, des- you know, hang out with the same people that we're hanging out with? And I think that as time goes on right now in this space of time, we have to start asking these questions. We have to go, you know, I mean, you see it in our world of the, um, in the coaching industry. There are so many people that when you ask them, do you love your life? Do you love your business? And it's so sad, Greg, because so many of them have built something they don't love being a part of.
1: Mm.
2: So many of them have relationships falling apart behind the scenes. So many of them are living with stress and going, hey, you've only got four months to live.
1: Mm.
2: What are we doing? Mm. What are we looking at as our measurements for success? and why are we building everything around that like why can why can we not have a measurement in our companies that measures the vulnerability because we know when people are telling truth that this is actually going to be more beneficial to productivity more beneficial to people being healthy and giving optimal optimal performance in an yeah. organization I I wonder where we're going to shift from some of these things and how we can do that.
0: Yeah, no, it's a really great point. A slight disruption
2: to the conversation. I have a question for you. Are you even a little curious to see how you can use your platform to change the conversation? To maybe design solution pathways where you have certainty and afford movement? Or truly do you want to increase your economic and cultural impact? awesome human, if you want to lead, to pioneer a new approach, to role model what is possible and to leave sustainable footprints for the generations to come, then I would love for you to reach out to me and the team to see if we're the right fit to make this a reality for you. And if we're not, no hard feelings, as I know many awesome humans who may be the right one. Okay, I've included three ways in the show notes where you can begin a pathway with us on a journey to your next level. One, a strategy analysis. Two, the next growth incubator cycle. Three, a potential investment partnership. As founder and CEO of Decision Velocity Global, I'm all about building a sustainable, scalable growth ecosystem where humanity, like you, are stakeholders. To design cutting-edge solution pathways and to narrow the gap from problem to solution. I want you to come on this journey with me and others and not to be left behind. There is a seat at the table for you. Okay, let's get back to the conversation.
0: We've actually just started across a couple of my companies mm. where we 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 do an eight-week cycle. I know uh, Black Belt, Boardroom, 16 <laughs> yeah. weeks. we do eight weeks. Yeah. So, so we, tell me the eight,
2: why the six versus the eight for you guys. What, why that?
0: Yeah, so eight, eight is so we can, well, sometimes it's four. So depending on the project, mm. so we like to compress it to get the results faster. And if we need to extend it, then we do. Yeah. Um, so we squish it in and to create time pressure which then create it it turns it into a more ambitious target um, just by squashing the time so if we were to say you know we want to get 100 new clients in three months yeah and we squish it down and say we want to get 100 new clients in a month completely changes the plan and what we're going to do so we squish it down into a tighter time frame to create that pressure tension tension mm-hmm. and then the because i feel also if the and it really depends on the project, but if, if your timeline's a bit too long, you, yeah. you get into the mind frame of like,
2: oh, yeah. I've I'll get time. around to it. I've got yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. I'll t- I'll
0: t- yeah. And so you wait until the last three weeks. I hate you. like, Oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And you do it in three weeks anyway. So you might yeah. as well just start with three weeks. Yeah. So anyway, we've, we've started to do what we teach, but with, mm. internally with our team. Um, and so what we do is we bring them the projects and say, here's the problem. Yeah, And this is our ideal outcome. You've got four weeks, go and create a solution. And instead of us where we used to come to them yeah. and say, all right, we've had this problem, this is what we're changing. Um, mm. We've actually given them the opportunity to tell us what they are thinking for the first time yeah. um, and, and let them decide. And and we always included them, we always asked them, but I think we, as a business owner, or you know, CEO, people like to say yes to those people. Oh yeah, Thank yeah, you. we'll do it, you know, mm. rather than giving them the space to actually think for themselves and then putting different personalities together yeah. so actually, they actually think differently. Mm. Um, so they're actually coming up with a better solution together and they're the ones doing whatever the problem is anyway. So they're more likely to understand it uh, and come up with a better solution. This is particularly impactful in our, my electrical contracting business, hmm. because we always were like, guys, you should be doing this, you should be doing that, and why? Or and especially like something like sick days. So they always yeah. get sick days like all the time, and we're like, why are these guys so unhealthy? Why are they always sick? Because me and the managers and some of the other perform- guys are not sick all the time, but some are always sick. Yeah, and and we gave them the space to be vulnerable, and they're like, oh, you know, sometimes the you know, shops aren't open on the weekend. So I'll just chuck a sticky there and then I'll be able to get to the shops. I'm like, really? So that's what, that's the Mm, truth. Very sick. Mm. Now we can build on that, you know? So (laughs) we've actually built in roster day off um, where we pay them for 38 hours each week. And then every month they get an extra day off, which is paid for. Effectively, they prefer that. And it's it's better than us at seven o'clock in the morning, finding out someone's not coming to work. And having the Because they needed
2: to go to the shops because that was the only time they could go.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
2: But I love that. And what I think around that as well is that you've given ownership back, going, Hey, I don't always have all the answers. I don't always know all the solutions to the table. We've got smart people at this table. Mm -hmm. So let's make a decision based on whatever I'm seeing. And I think that this is actually the key to global space as well, right? Mm -hmm. Is that getting smart people at the table who can think for themselves that do see different perspectives, getting at a table and going, hey, what is the problem we're seeing? How do you think we should come up with a solution and figuring out from that? And and that's part of what I get to do and has been really tricky as a pandemic because what is interesting about that and I think what I love about your story right there is that the problem wasn't that they were really sick. The problem was they had stuff they needed to do and that was the only time they could do it. Mm. And that is what's kind of happened in leadership right now with a pandemic. It's gone, hey, We've gone back to our little communities, our p- little things, and they're needing a lot of help right now because there's so much going on. We don't have time for the bigger problem, the bigger stuff. And reality is that bigger problem doesn't go away. In fact, it just keeps increasing the longer people ignore it. And I think that's something that we we need to think about as we continue to do our things in our world of what we need to see, whether it's in your business of um, making sure that you're hitting that bottom dollar, that, you know, the bottom line and and getting the growth and retentions doing well. But then I think we also need to think, how is this, how, the decisions we're making in what we're building here having a, you know, an impact on what's happening around you, whether in your local community, whether it's across the globe, wherever it is. How do you think we can do that better?
0: Yeah, I think it just comes down to leading with vulnerability again, you know. Um, Mm, So it keeps
2: circling back to. Yeah.
0: I think if the team, if I was to look at probably my electricians are a great example of like, like we do have some uh, women in our team, which is great, women Mm. electricians, which is awesome, but the men particularly who just will do what they're told to do Yeah. and giving them authority, this is what sort of was one of the big reasons I wanted to start my electrical contracting business when I was 22 Mm. was I realized through all of my, you know, swimming and everything, always wanting to level up. That was like my thing. I want to get better and better and better. Yeah. And I'll seek out the best information in the world to do that. But when I became an apprentice electrician, I'd inquire, inquire, inquire. But the tradespeople would often say, like, "Oh yeah, I don't really have time. We don't have time. we got. I'll teach you later." You know. Oh, and often I was like, "Hold on, wait. You don't even know. Like, you haven't been taught as an apprentice, and now you don't know, and so you can't teach me." And there was this cycle of people just mm. winging it out there, not really knowing. And it's pretty pretty common knowledge in the trade industries that guys will come through their apprenticeship, and because they're not vulnerable about what they don't know, right? They finish their apprenticeship, and then they're told, "Great, you're a tradie now. Go out and do the work." And they're out there doing things they don't know what they're doing, hmm. stuffing a lot of, lot of things up, and then sort of sweeping it under the rug and hiding it until they learn by mistake, and they're caught, and then they learn and there's this crazy cycle like this and so Mm. I think by as a business owner and it doesn't matter what industry you're in but as a business owner I feel like you need to give the authority to your staff and your team and probably as a family member or a mom or a dad to your kids to Mm. make mistakes and it's okay and and people go yeah learn by mistake but actually being honest about that mistake Hey, I've done something I didn't mean to. I didn't actually know what I was doing because what tended to happen and tends to happen in the trade industries, and I'm sure everyone's going, yeah, that happens in my industry too, is you go, why didn't you know that? You should know that. You're trained. You've gone Mm. to university. You've done this. You've you've finished your apprenticeship. You should know that. And so they get scolded. And all of a sudden they go, okay, I'm not going to open up again. And so they shut off. So I think what tends to happen is people business owners get stressed they're overwhelmed and they Mm. just want people to do their job right and because of that stress and overwhelm when a mistake happens they freak out and they react the wrong way and it just pretty much tells the employee to not speak up when something's wrong Uh, Mm. and so you've got this problem this cyclical problem that continues to happen forever because when that tradesman is training someone new the same thing happens they they do what they were taught.
2: Yeah, that's so true. You're right. It happens across so many industries. You know, a funny story was that I always have a word for my year. And one year I decided that I was going to or have a theme for my year. And one year my theme was this, to embrace failure. It sounds so like, why would she do that? But it was a weakness of mine. I was a reform, I am a reformed perfectionist, right? Like I literally, yeah. uh, I, and it held me back for many, many years because you see, when I failed, in in my past, it had huge consequences. Or if I didn't do it right, I felt down, I felt I had let down people that had given me so much in life. Mm. Or I felt that if I was to fail, no one was gonna love me, no one was gonna so there was a lot of stuff around failure yeah. for me, right? Mm. So for me to set that as my theme for a year, it took me a year and a half, like I had to carry it on into the next six months because it was not something that I did easily. I didn't like to fail. I didn't want to fail, but I learned that I needed to learn how to fail. And now failure to me is not failure. It is my next learning. It literally is. And we have to learn how to, how to learn from things that are mistakes. And when it comes to team, I always say, Like you can make a mistake, just don't repeat the mistake. Like learn from it. And I wonder if we learn to learn from our mistakes and go, it's okay to have that space to be able to make a mistake, but what are we going to learn from it? And here's the other piece that I think that we don't do well as a human race is you don't take ownership of your failure. It's blame. It was someone else on the team that did that. It wasn't me that did that. And I think one of the things that I have learned as I've gone on on my journey in life is that when you set a result that you want, an outcome that you need, and you have a time to what that needs to look like and who is owning that, when there is a mistake, it does come back to that person and that person needs to own it. But you need to create a space that it's okay to make those mistakes in and then go, and I, and I don't know that we do that well. And I think the other piece we don't do well is we don't have strategies or tools necessarily to be able to navigate. And this goes back to something we talked about earlier, but uncomfortable situations. Oh, this didn't work out quite the way I thought it would. Oh, I stuffed it up. I thought this was going to be the answer that we needed, but mm. it's not. And oh, this this actually cost us a lot of dollars. But hey, if we do it this way, and this is another piece that I think if you come when you have made a mistake and go, hey, I realized that if we had done this or I see the opportunity now to do this over here, and this will bring in so much more dollars if we do that, do you think this could work? Means that although there was a mistake, we are now learning from that mistake or that failure. And we now know how to get to the next piece of our pathway. Any thoughts around that?
0: Yes, I do have some thoughts around that. I would be interested though, with Mm. you, like a year and a half of embracing failure, like how did you go about tackling that? Like what was the process for you to do that?
2: So I did that personally, I did it professionally, I did it physically, I did it everywhere. I'm a results-oriented person. So like you, I, you know, would set myself goals and I would just not give up until I got that, you know, one of the toughest moments in my life was when I was told that I'd never get out of a wheelchair and I would never walk again. Now, when Kieran Murray gets told (laughs) never, that is like, okay, so they've said never what do I need to do to be able to get walking but not just walking and run again? And that was always my goal. And so I would move mountains just to get my next level. And so everything became about the next shift to get me to my next level to get me to the longer and bigger picture. Mm. And that's what I learned was, okay, when I've made a failure, this is not getting me the result I wanted. That's not a pathway to take. What are my other options to now get a pathway to the result I really want? And I literally did the same pattern for that in in learning how to turn my failures into my learning ground. And it literally has. So I don't And it's been the biggest lesson and the best lesson to learn as a CEO or a founder or anything of in that way because you can make bigger decisions knowing that even though it's a calculated risk, there's not always uh, ways to make decisions that you know it's a certainty. And that's actually okay because within that calculated risk, I've now got strategies and tools to be able to navigate when it gets tough and if I don't know the answers I know how to go and ask questions to go and find out the answers that I'm looking for and so it was learning things like that and realizing the other piece I think is really important is I had to learn that and you know I build everything around this now but That, even though I love you, Greg, and I love my life and I love the human race, reality is when I stand on judgment day at the end of my life, it's about me. It's Mm. about what I've done and what I've chosen to do. And I can't control anyone else, Mm. but I definitely have a control of the decisions I make on a daily basis. And that's what I need to care about. And that's what I need to be concerned about. And If I say something and stand for something, am I okay to stand for that and be okay about that? And even if that means that most people won't agree with me, yeah, actually, I am okay with that. So then I get to do that. If I make a decision, knowing the information, the data, so I'm really big on data. If we've got the right data, then we can make better decisions. So from the data that I have, Can I make that decision and am I okay with that decision today? Yeah, actually I am. And if I'm not, then what other data do I need to find so I can make a decision and stand by my decision? When I learned that it doesn't matter what other people are thinking, when I learned that it doesn't matter what other people are doing, I learned that I could be a strong and decisive person and go about doing what I'm called to do. So you know failure became this thing of uh oh hey, actually there's not that pain there's not that agony there's not that stress and chaos that I used to feel in fact I'm like bring on the challenges let's go for it because I'm prepared for them now yeah. I've I've worked hard to to get some things in my toolkit to be able to face some of those challenges and I always say Reality is none of us lead a perfect life. We've all got our own challenges and we've all got to get back up just like I had to learn. And that was a 14 and a half year journey before I not only got out of a wheelchair, not only got from crutches to one crutch to really old fashioned sticks to to one stick to then walk two walking sticks that you know fitness people use and then to one walking stick to then now walking totally unassisted to then doing little sprints at times as well. Like that whole journey I've had to learn exactly what I just talked about. Mm, and incredible. and that is what's kept me going because And I think this is the important thing that whether it's failures, whether it's vulnerability, whether it's the next big challenge for anyone that anyone's facing, that when you've got the tool set, when you're set, when you've got the prepared for the journey and you've got great people around you and there's a vision that is bigger than you, then, and when you've got drivers that are bigger than what you're about, then you'll get up when it means that you have to change because your wife needs you to change and be home by four o'clock, you do it. When it means that there's team that are looking to you to lead and that's important to you, then you do it. Mm. Does that make sense?
0: It does. And what a great story as well. It sort of leads me to a story where I really struggled with singing in front of people and you might have seen my singing video. I was doing. that
2: before we finished up, I was like, I've got to bring that piece in. So <laughs> one of the things that I love is creativity. I'm massively yeah. into what people don't realize, I work from both sides of the brain so much. And creativity is one of my passions. And and so for me, and one of the things I used to do was sing and run youth bands and things like that. Awesome. So I wrote songs and did things. So I love that side of you. And, and and I go, "What did that mean for you and and how how like for someone who ha- struggled to sing in front of people, like, oh my gosh, you do it so legendary?"
0: <laughs> it wasn't easy. Um, so it's amazing. I'll, I'll tell the story um, of yeah. what struggles to sing in front of people. So I actually when I was in primary school, I, I joined a school choir and I was singing in school choir, and I loved singing like, and just like... Everything the teacher told me to do, open mouth wide, like deep yeah. breaths, do this, do that. I used to just love singing from a very young age. And then I actually was learning piano at the same time and had learnt quite a few songs where I played piano and sung from, wow. you know, 10, 11, 12, and was preparing myself to perform in front of assembly but could never do it. So I would always go to the assembly and just do piano. And I felt like I had something to blame if something went wrong, but my voice... <laughs> my voice, I couldn't blame. It's my voice. You know, if I sounded poorly to people, if you're off if Yeah. I had a problem with that. Yeah. And I always had this, I need to be perfect sort of like you where I I needed to sing perfect. I needed to, you know, not be, I I needed to make sure everyone liked me, you know, that sort of thing. And so I went to an old boys school and that's where choir was like, Ah, it was not cool to be in the choir. At high school, no, it
2: at would school. not be.
0: Mm. So I didn't, I didn't sing in, in choir there, but I did continue to sing, watch Australian oh. Idol, sing all these songs, continue to sing with the intention of singing in year eleven and twelve. And by then, I was actually really good, and still couldn't do it. Like I still well. couldn't, I couldn't get into, couldn't drive myself to get in front of the whole school and sing in case someone didn't like it so i didn't so i did beatboxing instead because that was cool and then after school i caught up i started a band with one of the guys from school alan he was a bass player and started doing singing songwriting sending some songs that i was recording to my friend over msn messenger and um he's like man that is so good like what the hell like what i didn't know you could sing and then i just kept singing sending more and more songs because i got motivated by him and now i started writing my own songs and I started writing a lot of music. Um, and then I started to do solo you know, acoustic gigs at 18, but I had to get severely pissed before I got on stage <laughs> yes. to sing in front of everyone. Yeah. So, but I was able to dial that back every, every gig to the point where I could actually sing and play in front of everyone without drinking beforehand. Wow. And so that was that. And when mm. I started response electricians, I pretty much am an all-in sort of guy so i just went all in to the electrical business with the intention of one day once my business is automated i'll come back to music. then you'll
2: go back to that yeah
0: but i didn't play or sing for like seven years wow. and when i picked up a guitar again i was feeling sad one day and i started playing i was like holy shit, this is what i've been missing in my life mm. and so i was like oh man and i started playing music and singing again and i'd forgotten 95 percent of everything i'd learnt of course like all my songs and everything and i was my singing was out of tune, and, and, but I was aware of it and I worked towards, you know, singing again. And then in response, we were playing around with so many different marketing styles to get mm. some virality in what we did from, you know, 10 years ago. Um, so I used to do, hey, everyone, I'm Greg from Response Electricians. So today we're <laughs> going to be talking about swishboards. And how to check your RCD to make sure you don't get electrocuted. I did that one. I did the educational videos. I did um, superhero videos where I get out of the van and I'm like superhero. And nothing really stuck or went off. Like some were like, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. A couple of likes, whatever. And then we did our first singing parody. It was, uh, what was it? Baby, when the lights go out. Like that song. I love that. And we, we did that. And we put some. We had a green screen, and we just this psychedelic sort of video. <laughs> and I had my tool belt on and everything, and um, it literally exploded. I've never seen anything like it. I think wow. after 24 hours, we had like three and a half thousand comments.
2: Amazing. Um,
0: and then it just kept going more and more and more. Mm. And then, and, that,
2: and then you go, hmm, I'm onto something.
0: I'm onto something. I figured, I figured it <laughs> I out. I
2: know how to go viral now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: So we did even more. Oh, so then I got, and then I had a bunch of people oh. in my actually other trades, you know, slagging me off. And what people might not know, there's some pretty disgusting behavior in like Facebook groups where people are mm-hmm. taking people doing diff- different things and then ripping them to shreds yeah. to make themselves feel better. Because of their own in, like vulnerabilities and their own insecurities, mm. they prefer to pull other people down than of to course. be inspired by people doing something differently or learn from people doing something differently. But anyway, so that that actually, like you said, if it motivated me to do something even more extreme, so we just went yeah. to the next level with it. I was like, "Fuck you!" Like, we're yeah. gonna go and make it an even bit more crazy one. <laughs> And then, um, yeah, and then we just kept doing that sort of stuff. it's awesome. It's just been, it's been a great experience. And I think I've been asked to go on The Voice around the world probably about seven or eight times. Last year I was considering it, but then I just didn't feel the time was right. So you might see me, me on The Voice next year maybe.
2: I think we should. I think absolutely. <laughs> so, by the way, before I forget, and because we are tying up the ends of this conversation, but where if people want to hear you know more about you and more about your singing. Where do they go?
0: So, if you want to hear our singing and see our crazy marketing that we do, uh, head it's over amazing to amazing marketing. Mm. <laughs> head over to the Response Electricians Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. Just Google it, Response Electricians. It will come up. And yeah, for, if you guys are, that are listening are related to or you are tradespeople in business, Tradey Success Academy. I've got the Tradey Success podcast. I'd love to support you and your family to start, scale or automate your business. Uh, we've, we're helping businesses from startup all the way to million dollar plus months and we'd love to help them as well.
2: I love that. Hey, it's the one question that I do ask on this podcast and any conversation that I have is this question. So you're ready for it? Because this is the one question that I do ask everyone. And that is, what's one thing you're taking from our conversation today?
0: I think um, what I really love about our conversation today was we're, we're both in a place where we could speak openly about mm. you know our own vulnerabilities, about our struggles, about facing fear. Like your story is so inspiring. and I'd love to hear more about that when we catch up next. Yeah. But I think that's something I definitely want to take away from this meeting and encourage other people to be more vulnerable with their partners, friends, and team. I think that's... Yeah. Uh, Big message you want to get out. Yeah,
2: Yeah, I think for me, and thank you for that. For me, the the thing that I'm taking from our conversation is this whole vulnerability thing where, like, you know, I think vulnerability is such a, I I actually, that word itself kind of gives me the creeps just even saying that word. It's like, oh, Mm. you know, none of us like, and I think sometimes this is where with the old one was when you heard the word vulnerability. It's sort of like, what was that? Oh, you're falling apart. Things are broken. You know, I'm trying to think how I would define vulnerability in the past. Right.
0: Well, they're vulnerable. They're like naked and naked.
2: Yeah. But I didn't like being naked in front of people because then there were problems. Right. So there's, there's a whole lot of things around that. So when you talk about vulnerability and what we've talked about today, I think part of that, what I've loved about that, is just it's not that hard to be vulnerable. It's actually not that hard to have a conversation like this if you create spaces for it. And there's learnings that come from when you're willing to have that vulnerability. Like I've, I love some of the things that you've said that you do with team, and and then the, you know, like the power of your whole journaling. I've only just got back. Back into journaling again in the last little while. I did it as a young girl because it was my only outlet of getting my thoughts out of my head. I didn't know how to process my thoughts. I didn't know. I always thought differently to everyone else. I didn't know how to have those conversations. And I think as I've worked throughout my life now, uh, you know, I've got systems and patterns and ways to be able to work through that, that, you know, I get to help others do that. But, and there is a but to this that I think there's always time, even when we give ourselves that extra space space that if you start writing down those thoughts, if you start writing down and, and you may not even think you're thinking about anything, it's pretty amazing what comes out on that paper. One of my most favorite things to do is to get out my white paper and my pencil and an eraser and just sit by water and start putting some thoughts down on paper or mm-hmm. draw things. Yeah. And I love the fact that, you know, you've bought into your world, your creativity in through your singing, in with your marketing. like, And I think that's part of what we need, all need to think about doing is going, what are some of those things that maybe we've left behind and you know, we aren't doing, but as a missing piece? And I think that that's a big learning that I'm taking from our conversation today as well. What is it that maybe I've left behind and then maybe some of our listeners have left behind and aren't doing. And I know for me, I've actually been working on this little piece uh, and it's funny that you all kind of brought it up with the conversation. And for me, it's that creativity side and how do I want to bring that up in my brand? Not just the way I look, not just the way that we show up online, but actually you know i'm thinking even in in bringing design as a product as a part a streamline of what i do because I love creativity and I've, I've seen a gap in some of the work that I'm doing. And I'm going, how can I bring that design of literally fashion into you know, what I bring about? And I'm playing with a few things and studying a few things around that. So you're, you're setting more fuel for the fire as we've had this conversation. So thank you. Thank you for being here. And here's the thing is there anything else that we needed to talk about should have talked about or you feel is something that maybe you want to leave our listeners with
0: yeah I'd love to just talk around the way I journal because for Mm -hmm. me I think and I teach this in our academy and people go it's just amazing that the tradie is teaching journaling as one of the core things Um, but for me and everyone journals their own way but what i found really helpful and you might find helpful Mm. kiri marie especially if you're the sort of person who doesn't like to admit when something's not going well uh like me (laughs) Um, i write in third person so i coach Um. myself so i'll say like you know you've done this you've done that why is that and then i answer it uh myself and it it just takes It removes me as the main entity admitting I've done something wrong. Yeah. And it helps me be honest with myself. So it's almost like I know how to coach, I know how to ask great questions. So by asking the question, it helps me unpack what's going on. Yeah. And writing in third person was inspired by uh, Marcus Aurelius' journals, which is the meditations, (laughs) the ancient Roman emperor, and uh, fantastic but holographic sort of uh, read. But the way that he writes is also in third person, and he sort of talks to himself about what's going on. And by being able to do that, it just removes that, the pressure of having to say, I, I fucked up. You know, yeah. you can say you fucked up. And it just seems to work really well for me. So encourage people to try. If you're gonna get into journaling, buy yourself a nice leather bound book. I literally have one right next to my desk in my car. I've got them everywhere. Have you
2: created a men's journal?
0: I haven't created a men's journal because...
2: Because I reckon that would be great. What you just said would be great in a men's journal.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: and not by the way, any females listening, that's not for you not to do. I just know when you talked about the vulnerability and about males and males, you know, that this is not an easy thing sometimes to be vulnerable. I actually... The opposite that I've had to learn not to be so hard on myself. So I could blame myself. I could find everything. And I know a lot of females are in this case too. So any females listening or males, if you can relate to this, but here's the thing I had to learn to go, actually, yes, those are the things that I've done wrong or my mistakes or my failures, but what have I done really right this week? Yeah, And for me, that was even more important. And what are my wins that I've had that I've not really congratulated myself on? And what are those moments that I've looked after me and given me the self-care that, and I hate the word self-care, but like, it's just helped me to be the best I can turn up and show up every day, right? And how have I... Actually, one of the things that you know I wasn't always good at having relationships I was because that meant that I would have to get vulnerable. It would mean that I'd have to get close to, and that would mean that I could get hurt, right? And so that wasn't something that I loved doing. So I would congratulate myself and go, who have I connected with today? Mm. who have I reached out to who have I and and things like that became my focus in my journal because that wasn't something I was good at
0: yeah no I agree with that as well so like when it comes to gratitude writing and just Mm. talking around all the good things that are happening I also Mm. write in third person and I switch in between sometimes I'll ask the question and answer it in first person so it's just it's just something to explore and I love um, that Yeah, And I still think
2: you should do a dude's journal and then that'd be really cool.
0: The dude journal.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Maybe this is the moment from. Hey, thank you. Thank you for being willing and just, you know, having a conversation and and seeing where it goes. I think we've gone down some pretty cool rabbit holes today.
0: Yeah. And I really appreciate you having me on and hope the listeners have got a heap out of it.
2: I'm sure they will. (laughs) All right. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Kira Marie.
1: Amazing droplets of wisdom for you from today's episode. Make sure you subscribe, leave awesome ratings and reviews. Our hope is that this product creates a new awareness, activates ownership to what is next, and a curiosity for the need to be a part of the change to make footsteps of sustainability from today onwards. If you want to further your journey with us, join us at our next global human intelligence forum or apply to our next leaders' movement parlay. Both links are in the show notes. We appreciate you. Help us to build a tribe and make humanity as stakeholders. To achieve this together, recommend this podcast to leaders, innovators, pioneers, future thinkers, and movement changers. Big love. See you on the next global human intelligence podcast.